All right, this week we are joined by Convict Gaming 94. Um, mate, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for, for joining me. Not a problem, my friend. Thank you for having me. Ah, uh, mate. So this episode's a bit of a special one, isn't it? So it's to coincide with you reaching 100 followers. And the idea behind that was to um, explain the meaning behind your, your gamer tag. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is quite, obviously, a deep situation, bit of a, you know, it, it's still quite difficult to deal with, but obviously I'll, I'll try and get and get across to everything and to everyone that, you know, and hopefully it'll come clear for people to understand, really. Mm-hmm. So, um, so what is the, the, the meaning sort of behind it then? Right. In... 2017, it was February the 3rd at two o'clock. I was unfortunately involved in a very, very big car accident. And unfortunately, the third party involved, their passenger, wasn't wearing a seatbelt at the time. Um, and they basically came out of the vehicle and you know, suffered serious injuries. Um, they also later on in hospital, they had a severe heart attack and passed away. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, um, I was arrested at the scene for that because I openly admitted from day one I was speeding, mm-hmm. which. I was travelling up a dual carriageway, going a bit quicker than what I should have done. Um, so, yeah, I got arrested at the scene. They took me, as they took me to the police station, they explained that, you know, the, the third party is okay. Um, they're stable. They're, you know, they're stabilising, which is, which is very, very good. I thought, right, thank God for that at least, like, the person's okay. Um, later on, after a few hours, obviously in the, uh, the holding cell, they told me later when they took me for an interview that un- unfortunately she'd suffered a heart attack and passed away. So it's it it's really not a, a nice thing to deal with. Um, you know, going about your, your daily life. Yeah. To then end up in you know, for doing something, you know, a little bit silly, somebody's had to, you know, suffer the way they have and, you know, the heart, the heartbreak it's caused through, you know, to their family, to my family. It's, it's, it's absolutely devastating to deal with. Yeah. But, Thank you so much for, for sharing that. I, I appreciate how, how difficult it must be to kind of open up and, and explain things because the, there's no real reason you, you don't have to do that. So I really do appreciate it. Um, I mean, we'll go into kind of um, back to that in, in, a, in a little bit, but um, so, so that the, the people watching and listening get to know you a little bit, kind of um, when you've grown up, kind of what was your, um, so your main interest as a, a child and like where would we have seen many you? You know what? And I was trying for this. The ironic thing is, as a child, I 
always, always, always wanted to be a police officer, <laughs> which I know now seems slightly ironic. But I've always wanted to be able to, you know, do my bit to help the community. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I know some people have different views of police officers. Other people have very good views of police officers. But with the experience that I've personally had, you know, they're there to help. And, you know, the reason they're doing what they're doing is to enforce everything. And I wanted to be a part of that as a child. Yeah. Um, but growing up, my interest grew up, you know, and changed. Um, I still had the interest in that, but it was all cars, my dad being a mechanic. At the time, you know, it was just the love of cars and that's basically what my whole life has kind of been. Yeah. It, it's been great. You know, I did a lot of sports, um, football teams. I ended up playing for a semi-professional reserves team. We, um, you know, it was it was quite good. I, I was quite good. I was, um, I, I don't think I'd personally gone any further. I was fast. That's all I could do. I could just run. <laughs> <laughs> that gets you out but, of a lot of things. Yeah, it did. But the same, same with rugby. I played, I played quite a bit of rugby. I got offered to play for local teams. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it was just because I was quick. You'd hand me the ball and I'd go. No problem whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> but, you, you know, basically my life's just been sports and cars. And then the sports mm-hmm. died off as you, you know, as you grow up and you find beer and women. You're <laughs> typical bloke stuff. <laughs> yeah, interests but, do change, don't they? Sports kind of yes. take a little bit of a backseat. Yeah, um, but basically, it again, it just refers back to the constant love I've ever had has just been cars, working on them, rebuilding them, you know, obviously the feel of driving, everything's just been all about that one section, essentially. Yeah. It's been good fun. It's been very, very good fun. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, so, obviously, in 2017, wasn't it, you said, um, so the incident happened and... You were arrested. So how old are you now? I'm actually 27 on the, in the following Friday. There we go. Still, still way younger than I am. <laughs> you still look better than I do. <laughs> oh, yeah, too kind. Um, so when you were, um, you were arrested, you, you kind of touched on that, that earlier on. Um, what was going through your head? I'll be perfectly honest. I was absolutely petrified. As soon as the accident happened, I couldn't open my car door, right? Um, so I climbed out my window. So I always drove my windows open. Um, I climbed out the, the, the window and I ran straight over to the third party's car. And, you know, it is on CCTV. You can see me trying to get the gentleman out of the car safely to make sure he's okay. Yeah. Um, and I, man- I managed, you know, we managed to get him to the, to the side of the road and he's okay. He's a bit shaken up, which is understandable, but all that goes through your head is the other, the other person, which sadly, you know, passed away. Uh-huh. Are they okay? Oh, God, I, I really hope they're okay. Because I didn't actually know officially at the time there was another person until obviously you look over and you see them at the side of the road. It's a yeah. devastating sight, honestly. So no that I was involved with something that's caused so much pain. It's devastating, honestly. All I want to do is help. And I've done the wrong thing, essentially. 
Um, so all, all, all you think about is, are they okay? How can I help the situation? Which, leading with that, is where I openly admitted to everything. I took mm-hmm. full responsibility in that situation to try and make everything easy for the third party. Yeah. Uh, it was a it was a bit of a pain in the backside. I was travelling up a dual carriageway. They came down and they crossed the junction, which is on that dual carriageway. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's right. If I wasn't speeding, I would not have been there at that particular time. So this yeah. would not happen. And honestly, like I say, all you can think about is, I hope they're okay. How can I help? You know, what can I physically do to make everything essentially easier? Do you know what yeah. I mean? I suppose your natural reaction in in, in that in, instance is going to be, I need to help. Like, if there's people that need my help, I'm going to go and try and help them. Basically, yeah. Because weirdly enough, at the time, I was actually a bus driver. I was a professional driver at the time. So all I wanted to do, you know, the whole point of me being trained in what I was doing, my profession at the time was, right, if this situation arises, I know I know what I can do. Yeah. I'm trained in that incident to be, you know, trying to help and trying to take care of people. It, You know, it's same as the training I received when I tried to join the Territorial Army. Mm-hmm. The case of, you know, you know how to help, you know what to do. It just uh, kicks in automatically, doesn't it? I just tried my hardest, honestly, and unfortunately, yeah. it weren't quite enough, really. Um, no, I, I appreciate it. it. It must be tough kind of looking back on it as well. Um, so when, um, obviously, you you admit to everything like, like you've told me, um, what what was the process after that? Was there, a, was there a trial? Like, How did the sentencing come about? No, because I openly admitted to everything straight away. Um, over a period of months, you know, I was allowed because officially I've been arrested and released on bail under investigation. Mm-hmm. I was still allowed to go about my daily life, which I'll be perfectly honest, is a real struggle after that. Yeah. But, you know, trying to get back, I, I, I ended up getting, you know, sacked from the, the place that I was working on the buses, which mm-hmm. is understandable because you can't really have somebody who just caused that transporting hundreds of people, thousands of people a day. Yeah. So understandable. Um, got back into construction and then between, you know, doing bits of work, going to see solicitors a lot, um, a lot of, you know, reporting, reporting on bail every week. Then it comes to magistrate's court. And because I was being charged with causing death by dangerous driving, um, it was too serious for magistrate courts to deal with. So it's referred immediately to Crown Court. Mm-hmm. Um, a month later, um, I pleaded guilty at magistrate's court at the, you know, the earliest opportunity, which I, I held my hands up. It was my fault. So I did. Mm-hmm. Um, you go to Crown Court, which honestly is the worst bit of the whole process. It's it is so so horrible. You, you sit there in like essentially a glass box or yeah. a plastic, box. and you know, and somebody is obviously he's looking on it from the outside. He's passing judgments on the way that you know is kind of fair, but in another view, 
they also try it, it's quite it's quite weird they also try and prosecute you with everything else that you've ever done they, they try and use that against you it's, it's quite strange but at the end of the day I pleaded guilty and I pleaded guilty in Crown Court yeah so no trial just um, a straight sentence you know unfortunately they were they did officially sentence me without all of the evidence which I thought personally was quite strange because they didn't actually file and find out you know solid bits of the other evidence until like the day before I was actually due to be sentenced at court um, but going through that process you know having the judge there it's, it's extremely intimidating to be honest with you especially when you've just been going through your day-to-day life yeah um, at that point, you know, like I said, I pleaded guilty. I, you know, passed judgment. I was given five years and four months incarceration, and a nine-year and eight-month driving ban. It's it was quite quite a heavy one, to be honest with you. Now, from there, you've been sentenced, so you're taken immediately down downstairs, and that single-handedly is the worst part of everything it's devastating to know you know what's happened but you know to see everybody's heartbreak in that courtroom in, in one section is absolutely you know it, it's mind-blowing how bad it really gets then that's when you officially hit rock bottom it's it's hard it's exceptionally hard knowing what you've done but to face it and to see what physically happens to everybody in that courtroom is astonishing it is oh that is one moment well two moments of my life that I never ever want to relive is obviously the accident causing the pain and going through the court yeah but from there you're officially taken Downstairs, the paperwork's processed. You're put into a holding cell and you're taken straight to your local dispersal prison. It's the nicest. Yeah, I mean, that sounds brutal, in fairness. Um, it is. I mean, so you were given that length of sentence. How long did you, how long did you serve? You, unless you've been officially given something like a, it's, what's it called? ED, EDD, EDs, EPD something. Um, unless you've been told you physically have to do an extended period, then you immediately do half. Yeah. So, you know, myself given five years, four months, which when you actually consider what's happened, that's not a lot for somebody's life, essentially. No. It's really not. Um but I did two years and eight months in HMP Birmingham, mm-hmm. HMP Featherston, which is the other side of Wolverhampton, and then HMP Hill Grange, which was an open conditions prison. And from the open conditions, you're allowed to go to work. But they take, obviously, after you pay tax, you they take 40% of your wages, which, okay, but you're still earning money. Mm-hmm. Um you're also then allowed, after a period of time, I had to do something called a three-month lie-down. And then because I was, because of 
basically the seriousness of the incident. I was put on something called MAPA, um, something like Mass Area Public Protection Agreement or something like that. And, you know, which it, it, when you think about it, it, that's the that's the thing that like people like murderers and all, all those kind of things go on. It, it's a very, very serious thing. Um, that can give they can give you if they feel like it up to a 30 mile exclusion zone from any area. So if I live where I live or where the third party lives or even from the point of the accident, I could have a 30 mile radius exclusion zone from there. Yeah. And that's bloody massive. <laughs> um, but you allowed, I had to do es- escorted visits on MAPA. So I'd be taken by officers from the prison into the local town in Redditch. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then you're allowed, I think they take you out for two and a half hours just to integrate you back into society. Yeah. Which, I'll be honest, after the time that I served behind a closed door to going out for two and a half hours, it is absolutely mind-blowing. It's extremely scary how the world changes so quickly. I'll be perfectly honest, my head fell clean off. (laughs) (laughs) I can can only imagine. I I guess a lot of people have been in a similar position in that we see documentaries and things about people being in prison and, and their release and kind of how they adjust and things like that, but to actually kind of lived through it must have been so taxing mentally. Um, it, months and months and months. I I physically like couldn't really cope. Um, I, I, I really struggled to cope to adjust back to normal life. Like at say at seven o'clock of an evening, it, I was so used to having to go report to the officers to make sure I was still there. Yeah. I, you know, I was I was panicking. I was panicking because I, I thought I had to report to somebody, mm-hmm. and it, it's such a, a strange, strange feeling to you know to lie, to be able to like lie in your own bed, to be able to use a normal door. It, it, it's such an adjustment. Little things, yeah, it's massive. Um, you mentioned coping, um, and I mean, so when you went first went into, into prison, how did you cope? Like, what was that kind of I can only imagine what that first night must have felt like. That, when the reality the first in. night. Weirdly enough, I had it, it sounds does sound quite strange, but I had quite an easy run inside. The first it's it's more daunting when you're sat in the prison van. You're sat in what is essentially two foot by three foot box. It's absolutely tiny. And then you got this little small window that's no bigger than my laptop screen. You look at it and then you see the prison walls and then the sign and you're processed. That's when it really hits you. Yeah. That must be that, scary. It, it was. It was absolutely horrifying. But the first night I officially got there, because I was in the situation that I was and I was so terrified, um, the officers actually did a, you know, a very, very good thing. They gave me a job straight away, which meant I went into a dormitory of four people, mm-hmm. as well as a cell of four people. Um, and to be honest with you, I was, instead of having 23-hour lock-up like I should have done, 
I was in and out because they gave me a cleaning job. So I was in and out of cells all the time and cleaning and all sorts. Yeah. I had a fairly easy rise because I was always keeping my mind occupied. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the key to it, personally. Yeah, definitely. Um, and how was, how was the kind of um, the relationships upheld with like your friends and family and stuff? Did you see them regularly? When you first start, you would get put on what is basically a standard regime and that will give you three visits a month or depending on where you are, two visits a month. Mm-hmm. And you can only have up to, up to three people at a given time. So it is, you kind of have to use it quite, you know, quite clever. Um, but luckily enough, I was only in the category B uh, dispersal prison for a week. And then you go from, I got recategorized, went from there to Featherstone, which then gave me the same, which was three visits per month. But I also, you gain a status called enhanced after a period of time of good behavior. Yeah. That'll give you more money out of the private cash that is brought over. And you, so you can spend more on your canteen. Mm-hmm. And then you also get one extra visit a month. So it, you get, you end up with about four months, which will work out to one a week, which yeah, worse. Not a lot, is it? it? It's not, but when you're in such a routine, it's surprising how quick it comes around. But it also gives you something to look forward to, you, you know, an hour and a half, two hours to, to really look forward to in a week. Yeah. Um, that, that kind of keeps you connected and keeps you going. So... Now we're at the point now, I think um, you recently had an anniversary of your release, wasn't it? Was it the first anniversary? Yes, it was. I, um, it was my, when was it? It was 28th of February. I'd just been released for a year. How did that feel when that, that date hit? Surprising that how quickly that really went. Now, since I come out, all I did was work and work and work, even through the pandemic. You know, I've worked on, I've worked in HS2, I've worked in construction, back as a carpenter, I've worked as a pattern printed concreter, I've done commercial spray painting, and now I'm working in commercial bodybuilding. So it's just constantly been work. Essentially, you keep your mind busy, you keep yourself busy, time flies by, and yeah, it's very, very surprising, really. I mean, obviously, you, you could have chosen to keep the, the story to yourself, and but we've had conversations before kind of around you, you want to help people. Um, what made you decide to, to want to do that? Because if I can use my story essentially to make more people aware of you know the dangers of the road the dangers of things like your mental health having to deal with things when you feel like you've hit rock bottom Mm -hmm. if i can get that my story and my and you know everything across to people it may just potentially save one person's life and you know that that's that's worth it i'll be perfectly honest when you hit rock bottom there is thoughts of everything yeah 
because I constantly think I live every day thinking, well, why is it? Why did it have to happen to them? Why couldn't it have been me and made it easier for that family? Yeah, and and it's one of those things as well where I think if people are being honest, ninety percent of the population probably do go too fast at some point. Yeah, and it can literally happen like a split second, and and things can change. Um. So what are your plans um, moving forward to, to help people? Do you have any kind of any set plans for that or with, with it being so soon, is it still kind of a work in progress? It's, it is all a lot of work in progress, but the main idea that I've been having recently is um, obviously with, it, it's, it's a, t- a bit, little bit different because obviously with mental health, there's a lot of speaking to each other, you know, trying to support each other. Um, but the main idea that I've had is actually I want to try and start up a donations page. Like, you know, you see a lot of large streamers do. But what I purposely want to do is, which I've spoke to my partner about it, um, I've spoke to my grandparents about it, which they have quite good connections to the things that I want to help. Um, so everything that is donated through this page that will be linked to my Twitch when I get round to it. Everything that is donated, it will be given to different charities. Like one of the worst, worst moments I ever had while I was away was my nan passed away while I was inside. Yeah. Uh, that That's still hard today. Uh, that where she was when she passed, they took absolutely amazing care of her. She'd battled cancer for 14 years. Wow. She, you know, and they took amazing care of her. Um, and what I want to be able to do is with those donations, that's the first place that I want to go because they're doing such an amazing job in that hospital. Yeah. Specifically on that cancer unit is where I want to, you know, I want to be able to help. And then I want to branch out to things like, uh, you know, major charities like um, Midlands Air Ambulance, who do a phenomenal job and their charity run. You know, they're not government funded. And then there's, you know, there's other mental health charities that are quite local, you know, local hospices. So every time I hit a certain milestone with whatever donations come in, I want to be able to donate that and, Every, you know, every single penny that is put into there will be given to these charities. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. And it's good that at least something positive can come from such a kind of a traumatic experience, I guess. Um, so phenomenal, like really, really well done. And, and thank you for sharing, because I appreciate how difficult all this must be as well. Um, it, it, you, it is. Me. I was just going to say, mate, it, it is quite difficult to deal with. But as I said, if I can take this incident and, you know, prove to people the dangers of everything and how quickly things can change in an instant, maybe it'll change someone's thinking and maybe it'll save people's lives. Mm-hmm. So that's the idea. Amazing. It really is admirable. And because the some people would choose to just kind of keep it to themselves, work through it themselves, but to be so open and say, 
I held my hands up, but this is what I want to do on the back of it is, is a, a massive, it's an admirable quality. It says a lot about you. Um, so if, to round up then, if you had one bit of advice to um, someone going through what you went through or a family that's gone through what your family went through, what would it be? Don't give up, basically, because if anything that my life has proved is no matter how hard and how difficult things get, you can always rebuild and, you know, there, there is a good quality of life out there. You just have to keep going. Amazing. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Not a problem. I really do appreciate you sharing that one. Not a problem at all, my friend. And there you have it. Thank you to Convict Gamer for being so brutally honest about a clearly emotive subject. Um, it's important to remember in these scenarios, yes, there's victims and our thoughts go out to those and their families, but also that a simple mistake doesn't necessarily make you a bad person. And it's how you react to that that really shows your true character. Um, next week, we are joined by one of my favourite people on Twitch. I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Gap Runner. I'm so excited to have a conversation with him. A super cool kid, um, really intelligent, and obviously lots to share as well. So I really do hope you'll join us for that one as well. Feel free to leave some comments about this one. Um, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, and I will see you next time. Take care.